Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends, and then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, Zarin. Oh, hey, what's up? What are you doing here? Um, just here to ask you if you know what's ridiculous. Oh, man, I'm so glad you asked. I've been sitting here waiting for someone to ask me. I do. Oh. In fact, uh, Producer Dave, I'd like to bring you in on this one, because I think you may have a sense of this as well. Um, Elizabeth, your boy, Neil Young. Yeah. He was once in a Canadian garage rock band with a fellow music legend. Mm-hmm. Producer Dave, do you know anything about this? You ever heard about this? Oh, um, I saw they, that. Go ahead. They live together, just the two of them. That helps. And it was another Canadian? This was another, uh, this was like in the 60s. This uh-huh. is a Laurel Canyon joint? Neil Young was living in Toronto at the time. Um, he was in a band called the Minor Birds. He was, uh, you know, just doing his Canadian thing, basically, you know, jam banding around. Uh, and they were kind of like a knockoff Rolling Stones, if you imagine the sound. Mm-hmm. And there was a young man who was avoiding the draft in America, the Vietnam War draft, and he had fled over the border to Canada. Somehow, this dude, this young man, he winds up the front man for the minor birds. And that young man was Rick James. (laughs) What? In 1966 in Toronto, Neil Young and Rick James were roommates... In a hand, they were in a band, and together they had a dream. So I just think that it's just amazing. So you're how two degrees away from separated from Neil Young. True, that's exactly true. (laughs) Oh my uh, stars! Someone once heard about this, and they asked Neil Young about this, and he had this choice quote, and and I will just briefly quote. Yeah, you know, we did some wild things. It was all it's all very hazy now. I'm glad I made it through that stage. It got a little dicey. There were some drugs going on. Yeah, you kidding me? No kidding? <laughs> Maybe. Now, the example that he gives about some drugs going on, he <laughs> says, I remember singing one song for about a, a day and a half. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, shaky. That's ridiculous. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That is ridiculous, and I love it. I'm a big Neil Young fan. I know. I figured both so, of you would be tickled. I like that story, and I didn't know it. I'm going to add it to my repertoire of fun facts. Yeah, good for bars mm-hmm. and uh, family functions. Exactly. <laughs> or, you know, you're on hold. <laughs> and then the, the, like just waiting. You're just talking to the music, <laughs> or then the caller comes back, and you're like, "Okay, before we address my yeah. order number, let me tell you something about Neil." I, I need to finish the story I was just telling. The hold, <laughs> hold music. Okay, so that's ridiculous. Uh, hey, do you want to know what else is ridiculous? Do I ever show dogs? Oh yeah. But you know what's more ridiculous than that? 
running a con in order to fund your extravagant show dog lifestyle. <laughs> now, Zarin, let's hope this doesn't turn into a shaggy dog story. <laughs> I'm Elizabeth Dutton, and he is Zarin Burnett, and this is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Zarin. Elizabeth. You like dugs. Dugs? You mean dags? Dags. <laughs> yeah, sure, I like dogs. <laughs> um, have you ever had a pedigreed dog? I've had a pedicure. Okay. No, actually, I haven't even had a pedicure. I haven't had a pedicure or a pedigree dog. I'm oh, just yeah. really a, a, just a pedestrian. Pedi- pedigreed purebred dogs kind of freak me out. Oh, completely. I, I, they make me nervous. I had a purebred Rottweiler as a kid. Well, that's cool, though. That's well, not yeah, like a purebred poodle. Where honestly, it's like, the stupidest dog I've ever encountered in my entire life. That's the purebred part. Yeah, nothing behind the eyes. Yeah, <laughs> just vacant <laughs> stare from a I dog. Like, I like my dogs clever. <laughs> Wily. Um, but there are people who love pedigreed purebred dogs and they go so far as to you know train them to be show dogs oh yeah there's yeah basically it's for people who are freaky but not freaky enough for child pageants yeah they're like i could be a stage mother but i'm a little too anxious that's unfair of me but who cares um (laughs) so in my opinion there are two sides to show dog culture we've got the people who are super into dogs and they Mm -hmm. put everything they have into getting them ready and going into the shows and like they save all their money, all and everything extra that they have goes to these dogs. Okay, we call them dog people. Yeah. They earn money in order to be able to breed and show dogs. Sure. Now, then there are those who have a ton of money, and they have a bunch of show dogs just like as a lark. We'll call them show people. Yeah. Yeah, the dog people. That's good. <laughs> uh, so they don't keep the dogs in their homes. They don't spend any time with them. Mm-hmm. They have, like, handlers and trainers. Um, those aren't. Like, they're not seeing the dogs as de facto family members. No. Like, they, they my not, pack of rescue dogs over the years. They're well. not fur mommies and <laughs> fur daddies. Flesh daddies and skin mommies. <laughs> um, I am going to tell you a story about a woman who had a lot of dogs. 30-headed dog. Oh, that is a lot of yeah, dogs. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's a lot of dog food. Oh, my God. Totally. A lot of picking up to do. <laughs> um, but then there's also the fact that she was posing as a socialite when she was anything but. A little more ridiculous. Oh, doubling. I like this. And, you know, of course, she had to run some cons in order to fund her fancy dog show glamorous Lux lifestyle. <laughs> so This has all sorts of promise. For her con, she took an office job. Oh, that's and a strange is, move. Yeah, that is the last place that I'd go to make a buck. Well, it depends Lord on the knows. office, though. I'm starting mm. to imagine maybe this was a good cover. Yeah, it, it was. Okay. So this is the story of Margaret Lydia Burton, the phony socialite dog lady. <laughs> good name. I want you to picture it. Okay, I'm picturing Close it. your eyes. My eyes, they be closed. It's 1957. My eyes are peeking open a little. (laughs) Uh, You're at a lovely 15-acre estate on Happy Hollow Road in Doraville, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta and DeKalb County. DeKalb? Yeah, DeKalb County. Yeah. Not DeKalb. No, no, yeah, it looks like that, especially with the big capital K. Yeah, I like that. It's it's tough. And there's also, by the way, Cobb County next to DeKalb County, and they're totally spelled very different. C-O-B-B, Cobb, and DeKalb, D-E-K-A-L-B. Allied over all of it. As a child, it was a lot of fun, let me tell you. (laughs) So you're at this estate. There's a swimming pool, a state-of-the-art kennel for this large number of purebred Cocker Spaniels. Mm -hmm. For this imagination exercise now... Let's pretend you're a social climbing young mother of two. <laughs> okay. Maybe the wife of a local attorney with political aspirations. You're very Stepford uh, adjacent. Yes, but okay. What, what would you want your Stepford wife name to be? Ooh, how about Beatrice? No, I'm going to call you Bunny. Okay, that's what I meant. That's my nickname. It's Bunny. <laughs> yeah, bun, you're, bun. You're Beatrice and your nickname's Bunny. So, Bunny, 
<laughs> you're at this impeccable home, and you're a little bit awestruck by the woman of the house. Ooh. Said woman of the house, Mrs. Janet Gray. Okay. The Gray Manor. Okay. (laughs) Janet Gray of the DeKalb Grays. Um, (laughs) She swans around in a really fashionable outfit. She's got her silver hair secured under a stylish scarf. Mm. Beautiful face. She's got these, like, distinctive, charming freckles Hmm. sprinkled all over her face by nature. Look at those sun dots. <laughs> um, she's only lived in the area for a couple of years, but she's established herself as a society fixture, and she's a little bit mysterious. She's one of us. <laughs> she, yeah. She speaks <laughs> in a smooth English Southern accent. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you've heard whispers that her father was an army general, but you've also heard that he might have been the former president of Panama. If only I had Google. <laughs> yeah, that was that's the problem. Uh, Or in plays in her favor. Um, But maybe was it her husband who was like a general, a colonel? She hasn't told you anything about herself. Everything is just rumor, innuendo. I just remember brass something. I don't know. (laughs) So you're invited over because you you invited yourself over, let's say, because you wanted to inquire about the Westminster School for Girls in Atlanta. Hi, it's me, Bun Bun. Bunny here. Um, (laughs) That's where you understand that Mrs. Gray sends her niece. Mm. So the Westminster School for Girls is like complete social currency. It's like, I don't know if you heard of it. Oh, completely. Of course I have. Are you asking Bunny yeah, if I've heard say, of this? Am I talking to Bunny or am I talking to Zarin right now? <laughs> which, Zarin. which one do you want to talk to? Tap in, Zarin. Yes, Zarin. Have okay. you heard of the Westminster School for Girls? I have not. Okay, good. Um, I'm going to tell you about it. So it's like it was at the time. It still exists, but it's co-educational now. It was an elite boarding school. It was actually the test site for what would later become the AP program, Advanced huh, Placement. Interesting. Um, Margaret Mitchell, author of Gone yep, with the Wind, she went say. there. Big, there a, big Atlanta socialite. And at the time, there was a girl's side and a boy's side. Mm-hmm. Did you know that both Kevin and Andy from The Office went to the boys' school? I don't even know who they are. I know you don't. That's why I brought it up. I'm sure you didn't know that. <laughs> anyway. Kevin and Andy, are they like a morning show? Like on sure. the office? Like, They're, yeah, you guys listen to Kevin sure. and Andy this morning the, yeah. on the way into the office? Exactly. Wink, wink. You got it right. <laughs> So let's bring you back. Bunny, okay. come back to me. Okay. Yes, go on. So mm-hmm. you're there in the in the parlor. Mrs. Gray calls out, oh, Candy. Just a second. I was looking at your magnolia blossoms. Go on. Into the parlor that's filled with luxurious Italian antiques and such. Walks a buxom blonde. <laughs> <laughs> she looks a little old to be a high school student, let's say. <laughs> but you know who's to say? Kids these Kids days. today, I just do not know. Mrs. Gray introduces you to her niece, Candy. And you've heard that Candy, she... Candy, nice to meet you. I'm Bunny. Bunny, Candy. Bunny, Candy, Candy, Bunny. Candy Bunny. Thanks, you've heard Kitty. that Candy is the daughter of a, of a countess. Ooh. That's the rumor there. Candy reaches out to shake your hand. Lovely to meet you. I'm Candace Victoria Lane, but you can call me Candy. Everybody does. Candy Lane? Candy Lane. Okay. <laughs> just just Candy that Land. on the side. Okay, go Little on. Candy Land. Just then, Theodore Young walks in. He's holding like a little medium-sized Cocker Spaniel. Oh, well, look who it is. If it isn't Teddy Young. He's the dog trainer. And he's the one responsible for training the f- world-famous dog, Rise and Shine. That's Mrs. Gray's champion Cocker Spaniel who won Best in Show at the 1954 Westminster Dog Show. And could have won in 1955 if she would have enrolled her. <laughs> yes. How did you know? Big time. This is big time. You're in the middle of the dog show big time right now. I am a flutter. Look, everyone, it's rise and shine. I'm catching the vapors over here. <laughs> so you're looking at this silky spaniel <laughs> groomed within an inch of its life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth five grand. Would you look at the braids? I mean, Which in today's life and money is $50,000. Oh, boy. That's an expensive pooch. <laughs> And it's that dog, Rise and Shine, is just one of 30-some-odd Cocker Spaniels in the kennel. Wow. That's a lot of dogs. So this is all part of the luxury that she's demanding in her life, furs, antiques. She has two Lincolns, one of which is a brand-new pink Lincoln Capri, and it has air conditioning, Zarin. Wait, are you kidding me? It conditions the air, makes it cooler? With AC. She has oh, a, glory be. A Mercury, a Pontiac. She also has a 19— 19- That Candy Lane, she knows how to live. <laughs> she has a 1953 Chrysler with air conditioning. Oh, Zarin. Um, so it was said that when she went to the hairdresser, she would tip the hairdresser $2 for the shampoo, which would be like tipping 20 bucks today. Mm-hmm. 
and then tipped $5 for the silver rinse that she got, which is like a $50 tip today. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, she's spreading it around. She's like on this Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous tip. She's spending you know? like it's somebody else's money. Everyone is living for it. They love her. Of course we and do. And so she makes everyone feel super fabulous, fantastic. Now, here's this woman. She's got this lavish lifestyle, wealthy. Mm. You would think that she would not lift a finger all day long. Oh, I do not imagine she does. Well, no. What did I say before? Were you listening to me? Which one are you talking to? <laughs> this is like talking to a medium. <laughs> Who am I talking to right now? No. It's funny. <laughs> Anytime you say medium, I just picture the Sopranos thing. I've mentioned it before. Yes. The Polly Walnuts. I'm dragging soul tone. <laughs> All right, so... I'm going to call into the ether. To whom am I speaking right now? Uh, did you have an order to place? <laughs> oh, God. It's not Bunny and it's not Zarin. Yeah, just, just it's somebody. some dude named Brick who's <laughs> <laughs> here to deliver. Um, Apparently got killed on a pizza delivery. So uh, yes. I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Go on. I'm trying to keep a narrative thread here, Zarin. Sorry, you know please. that's very hard for me. It's a challenge to us all. So um, remember I talked about the office job? Yes. So she, she took an office job. Yeah, mm -hmm. she had a day job. She took an office job. Yeah, that was for her cover, if I remember correctly. Not really, though. I'm thinking her criminal cover. I'm assuming that's no. where she's doing. No, not that's doing her criming. No, there? that is where she's doing her criming. Oh, okay. It's not a cover. That's like that's legitimately her job is messing up this job. Yeah. So, um, when we come back from this break, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you about what happens when a socialite works in an office. It's not. It's. Not I think pretty. I know. It's, yeah, it's going to be mayhem it and is, um, yeah. chaos. It's and bad. Ridiculousness. for a sec please pay apps are way too public what happened some rando hearted a payment from five months ago and i realized people can see my entire history who i'm paying like full names it's super weird yeah it's weird how are you paying your friends then apple cash it's all in messages you can literally send cash like a text and it stays between friends random people can't see it did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Saren, we're back. Oh, hey, look at us. Bunny, are you with us? I am, dear. Okay, bring back Zaren really quickly. Yeah, of course. I'm always here. So, I've been telling you about Mrs. Janet Gray, Mm -hmm. the DeKalb County socialite. Mm -hmm. You, okay, now you get to be Bunny again. You, Bunny. Mm-hmm. You went. <laughs> Bunny's good. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> what you want, girl? Oh God! Uh, you went over to her house to try and weasel your way into a letter of recommendation for your little mouth breather Barbara to attend Westminster School for Girls. Mouth breather may be appropriate, but I think weaseling is a bit extreme. <laughs> so Candy goes there. Mm-hmm. That's you know the intro. Candy has an IQ apparently of one twenty. Mm. And she's going 120, plowing over mailboxes. <laughs> um, she also looks a little long in the tooth to be a high schooler. But again, we said, who's to say? Who can judge these no. days with the clothes they wear? You're in awe of her lifestyle. Well, the freckles pretty amazing. And the, and the sumptuousness. <laughs> the freckles and the sumptuous freckles. Um, succulent freckles. <laughs> you, uh, there's something you don't know. There's so bunny. many things I do not know. <laughs> bunny, some there's, intentionally. There's a lot of wind blowing between them ears, Bunny. Um, it's a cool breeze, though, darling. <laughs> It smells of magnolia. <laughs> exactly. Magnolia blossoms <laughs> and not working. When Mrs. Gray arrived in Decatur in 1955, mm-hmm. she applied for a job as an office manager at a medical clinic. Okay. Now, a lot of her society friends didn't know this. I imagine they shouldn't. Yeah. But she didn't She didn't hide her life from her employers, the yeah. doctors. Um, they knew All they knew, she's like a wealthy widow. She's uh-huh. independently wealthy. She just liked working, maybe. Yeah. Well, she claimed she needed the job because she wanted to keep busy, keep her mind mm-hmm. sharp. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Um, business was booming at this clinic and continuing to grow. They needed someone who was on the ball to manage the books and, like, manage the whole <laughs> office. She wasn't volunteering. Yeah. Yeah. She got paid. She made $400 a month, which is, like, $4,000 a month in today's money. Okay. You know, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, it was way more than most were making in those days, and certainly women in a clerical position yes. were making that. The doctors absolutely loved her. Huh. Well, she's very good at her job. Yeah. Okay. And she had things running really smoothly. People loved interacting with her, like the patients, and she kind of, kind of classed the joint up. So she's just charming everywhere she goes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. She doesn't, she doesn't, like, take off the mask at work. And she's no, like, no. And she's got that, like... coffee, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> Give me the receipts. Um She's really assertive, but she's also confident. Mm-hmm. Confident. Ooh, I thought you did there. Confidence. Like an artist, possibly. A confident artist or a confidence Real artist. Lies. <laughs> Real lies. Real lies. Real um, lies. So, so, so true. The doctors loved her, but what about the rest of the staff? Envy? They didn't like her at all. Hmm. Uh, they didn't envy her. They just did not like her. Oh, uh, was she shifting work to them? Well, she was like this taskmaster. Oh. And the rest of the employees, like, they just could not stand her. So she's, that's where the mask fell. Oh, yeah. She's pushy. She's mean. Figure she um, couldn't keep it up everywhere. Well, she held everyone to this crazy high standard. Uh-huh. And she was, like, demanding all this crazy hard work. But she wasn't fond of hard work herself, of course. No. No. (laughs) So one woman who worked in the office, her name was Carol Whitney. Mm -hmm. She said, quote, more often than not, Mrs. Gray would come in in the morning, leave at 10 or 11 and return later in the afternoon. (laughs) That she's got it figured out. Yeah. Maybe keep your eyes on your own business there. (laughs) So there were complaints of Mrs. Gray forcing people to work overtime, but not paying them out for it. Okay. And... Everyone's grumbling. People are like quitting because it sucks so badly to work there. The doctors aren't noticing any of this because they have a charming face in front. Yeah. Okay. And they're, yeah, that's all they care about. And they're like, and the bills are getting paid. Yeah. And they don't want to bother themselves with like all this office drama. They got, it just does stuff. I mean, they've got strep throat to to treat. Um, So on top of all this, the office drama, there's shady accounting practices under Mrs. Gray. Surprise. The revenue for the day is usually like $600 in cash, but so that's like six grand today. Sure. Um, she didn't lock it up. She just kept it in a drawer. <laughs> right. 
It's an interesting <laughs> protocol. <laughs> if you go to your money person, they're like, how do we do today? Let me, let me check the drawer. There's like ketchup packets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pushing their notes and pens off, pulling out a stapler. That's not it. Just a second. I got it here. I and swear. And that, that old post-it that came off the stack and it's got like the, the dirt on the sticky side. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Is that just my drawer? Um, so staffers are kind of freaked out about the fact that the the money's just in an unlocked drawer, but they're completely browbeaten by Mrs. Gray and they feel like they can't do anything about it. And that any of them could be blamed at any moment, though, if it goes missing, because she's just such a tyrant. Oh. So they're getting nervous. They start keeping their eyes on Mrs. The Gray. The plausible deniability built into that is interesting. So mm-hmm. that way she always has someone else to blame. Mm-hmm. Anything ha- that's interesting. Okay, go on. And so one of them saw her leave one day with all the cash receipts stuffed into her briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think she told him, like, I'm going to go deposit this. I need to go wash these. I'm just going to be right back. (laughs) And there was another clerk in the office who noticed that it was Mrs. Gray who chased down the past due invoices and bills. But that wasn't her job. (laughs) Yeah. How long did she have this job? Well, the one, like, like two years. The one who was supposed to take care of that in the office, this woman named Jane Thurman, she discovered that the books didn't balance. Hmm. And that the receipts weren't matching up with the cash on hand. So she goes to Mrs. Gray, who's technically the office manager. And Mrs. Gray's like, oh, you know, I'll do be second eyes on. I'll check this. And, of course, like, oh, it magically balances when she's using the adding machine. <laughs> and since she's the final word. I'm going to need you to show your work, ma'am. <laughs> so this starts to catch up with her, though, because pretty soon the doctor's they noted some trouble with the accounting. Oh, so they went to get their uh, greens time or whatever, and they showed <laughs> up. They're like, oh, we're having a problem with your last payment. Yeah, we haven't, you haven't paid your dues. What's that? So business is booming, right? Bank accounts aren't reflecting that. Mm-hmm. The doctors figured that since the business was growing, the office just needed a little more structure and direction to get the books in order. Right? <laughs> Maybe the staff is overwhelmed. Just give them the benefit. <laughs> is the staff of mostly women and the doctors mostly men? Mm-hmm. Okay, just guessing. So they hired a guy. Yeah, that's, that's where I was going. <laughs> Enter John C. Walsh. Mm. John Walsh shows up, not... Yeah, not yeah. America's most wanted. Um, So he gets this gig as the new office accountant, mm-hmm. and the doctors make Mrs. Gray his assistant. So she's office manager and the assistant to the accountant? I guess. Whatever. She gets kind of knocked down a peg, okay. though. It's pretty obvious to us that Mrs. Gray, if that is her real name, dun, dun, dun. that she's been skimming at work. But, and, you know, taking I think money. scooping is really more like it. <laughs> yeah, she's been shoveling at work. Um, you know, taking all the cash receivables and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then she's collecting these debts that never make it into the... Off, you know, office coffers. So they're just like basically racking up creditors and people who are getting mad and eventually will take legal action. Yeah. Okay. And I think the legal term for this is funny business. <laughs> She's up to funny business. She's living this lavish lifestyle. You know, she's got all them show dogs. Uh, she's got a pretty good scheme, right? Yeah. Well, and show dogs aren't cheap. But is she going to be able to do this with the dude in the office? I'm going to go with kind of for a little while. <laughs> Bunny, I want you to close your eyes. <laughs> oh, girl, my eyes are closed. I want you to picture it once again. July 30th, 1957. Can you smell and feel that humidity? I can. I'm, I'm sticky. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Janet Gray is at her home on Happy Hollow Road. And the dogs are barking in the kennel outside. Candy, her niece, home from school. She's absent from school a lot, by the way. <laughs> like... She's convinced the school that her aunt is actually a very well-known dancer who toured a lot and needs candy to come with. Just, you know, help out. She's a roadie for her dancer aunt. (laughs) People love reflected fame, right? I'm a stage niece, so I gotta have to work. (laughs) She's the trainer, like, the way they have the dog trainers. (laughs) Just runs her around. She just gives her a little, like, liver snap every time she does a pirouette. So... Um, Mrs. Gray is irritated because the doctors have hired this actual accountant mm-hmm. to run the office. And she's just lounging around her well-appointed estate, mulling her options. Okay. That nosy Parker, John Walsh, <laughs> is poking around the books where she's been skimming the funds, supplying her life of luxury. She needs a plan is where we are right now. Mm. She, she, so she calls me Bunny to come over with all my grand She's schemes. not impressed with you, Bunny. I'm sorry. You're Damn. not allowed to come over anymore. You're sitting at home, just like oh, shame. popping a mommy's little helper, drinking an Arnold Palmer. Well, frankly, my dear, I do not give a damn. <laughs> so Mrs. Gray, she's cooling out at home. The phone rings. Mm-hmm. It's the office. Dun, dun. Yeah. Not the TV show. 
They're like, hey, Mrs. Gray, we called a couple of days ago, but your housekeeper said you were out of town in Florida, so we're trying again. I don't think there was a housekeeper. Yeah, I'm thinking it was John Barron. <laughs> um, we're a little light on cash in the safe here. Could you come on down and explain what happened? You know, they're being really cool about it. <laughs> As they are when they be trying to get you there. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, says Mrs. Gray. No, she's like, no, I'm good. I mean, I really wish I could, but I actually have to, I'm about to drive some friends to the airport, so. And I really have to make this trip. Yeah, so. it's really important. <laughs> I'm on my way to the airport. I bet you are, girl. I bet they're you like, are. Uh, they're like, oh, you're a very good friend. How about tomorrow? She's like, yeah, sure. I'll see you then. Mm-hmm. I'll be in tomorrow. First thing. Yeah, she hangs up. She looks at Candy. She's like, we need a plan. We got to do this now. <laughs> and luggage and some gas money. So the next day, when she doesn't show up at the office to explain herself, the mm-hmm. doctors call the cops. Naturally. And the police roll out to Happy Hollow Road, walk up the walkway. Front doors are wide open. <laughs> they walk inside. It's empty. No barking dogs. Mrs. Gray's in the wind. <laughs> like the end of the sting, which yeah. is like completely empty. Yeah. So... What had happened was... <laughs> you see what had happened. As soon as she gets off the phone with the office, she hangs up the phone and uh, calls for three moving pans. <laughs> Two for the furniture. <laughs> From different companies because yeah. the, the check's going to bounce. <laughs> totally. She's got two for the furniture and one for the dogs, just for the whole grip of dogs. Throw them in a moving van. Do they have moving vans for dogs? Uh, you know or is she what? just throwing them in a truck? It's Any just like, moving van is a moving van <laughs> for point. dogs. In like, 1957? <laughs> so they load up the vans. Like they mm-hmm. get out there, they're just emptying the place. Um, she goes out to the driveway, hops in that sweet pink 57 Lincoln Capri. Oof. Cranks up that air conditioning, <laughs> air conditioning, Saren, um, and like peels out. Candy's right behind her in a Mercury station wagon. And then the vans Solid. follow. Mm-hmm. The criminal caravan's on its way. Rolling. Yeah. By the time the cops got there, again, completely empty, almost empty. There was some stuff upstairs and the freezer was full of really fancy dog food. Oh, they just left them. So they put hungry dogs into a moving van. Like when they turn the corner, do they all slide over to one side? <laughs> There's just like drool everywhere. It's just a mess back there. Do they put pads down? I'm thinking a lot of blankets and just kind of let the dogs, you know, Maybe they probably sort had, it out. They probably had crates from the kennel. I don't know. That may be more dangerous than like what a if, than loose tumbling dogs. What, what if like they get the dogs and Mrs. Gray picks out the largest Cocker Spaniel Mm -hmm. and is like, Fritzy, I need you to look me in the eyes. I need you to drive this van. Are you ready? Fritzy, full attention. Eyes here. So Fritzy's got the wheel and then they like pop some down to work the pedals. (laughs) Like a little Pekingese down there. We're going to gas one more break. And she gets like the toughest one who has to be like the boss in the back of the van. You keep everyone in line. Dalmatians back there. (laughs) Listen to what's, what's what's the like Henri one's name, do you think? Lancelot. Everybody, listen to Lancelot. Lancelot's the boss. Move, move. Come on. In, in, in. Yeah, that's what's going on. So it's a, a, a truck driven by dogs. dogs. What I'm just, to say. I like this. Yeah. Dog truck. Dog truck, dog truck. So um, when the cops get there and it's empty, who do you think that they called, aside from Ghostbusters? Um, I bet they should have called Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> Detective Bunny at your service. <laughs> She's going to be a Mae West voice now. Um, so they called the FBI. Oh, so they went to people who might actually solve Well, the they knew it was something way bigger than just like an eccentric older gal siphoning oh, yeah. off bits of money. This is right? interstate crime. Yeah. Yeah. So the feds, they get to the house and they poke around. And it turns out she left some of her clothes. She left more than 50 hats. Wow, left more than 50 And like hours. some of them were like most of them were worth like 60 bucks. But at that time, that's like $600 today. Dang. So if you just had like this crazy collection of hats. So imagine like if a shoe beast just left all of their <laughs> yes. shoes. Yes, that's exactly. And so fancy dresses mm-hmm. and furs. Meanwhile, back at the office, federal forensic accountants are tracing all the money and tracking all the payments in and out. Uh-huh. They calculate all told. It appears she has stolen at least $100,000. In today's money, that's just over a million bucks. Nice. In two years. Um, apparently, she's just straight up pocketing almost all the cash payments that the patients made. Uh-huh. And then when the feds did the math and worked out the true numbers, it also looked like for the 
entire year of 1956, mm-hmm. she deposited into the bank account. The bank account only had $67. <laughs> nice. That is bold. She's nice. staunch. I'm that surprised is... though that the bank didn't like alert them like, hey, what's going on? Your, your deposits have suddenly changed. I mean, like this is 1957's like money protocols. Wildly different. A lot different. of fail safes fell, yeah. failed mm-hmm. along the way. Um, also, because like, I imagine there was a small, like not small town, uh, but that the banking situation in Atlanta, they knew their banker, the banker knew the, yeah. knew the doctors, and the most likely they socialized. So this yeah. could have kind of come up with like, hey, everything going all right with business guys? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just weird. We, that, we're just seeing some discrepancies. Now, yeah. apparently it's just freewheeling. So everyone's wondering, who is this Mrs. Janet Gray? I'm, I'm right there with them, top of the list. Who well, is this Mrs. Janet, Janet Gray? Well, and Janet Gray sure as splinters ain't her real name. So <laughs> no, definitely not. Come to sure find out. Um, she's, it turns out she's wanted all over for her con woman ways. She prefers the word desired. <laughs> there's, a, there's a burning desire for her to come to justice. When we come back from mm-hmm. these delicious ads, um, I am going to tell you who she really was. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. 
The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Zaren. Hey, I'm still here. What are you doing here? Oh, I just came back in to finish my story. Oh, thank goodness. I've been over here waiting on pins and some needles. <laughs> so we were, I was telling you all about Mrs. Janet Gray. Yes, my and girl. And she fled. Uh-huh. She took all her dogs and fled after fleecing this doctor's clinic. Her um, and Candy Lane. Yeah, and Candy Lane. They're out of there. Uh, hundred grand they made off with. So who is she? Her real name is Margaret Lydia Burton. Margaret Lydia Burton. Age 51. And Candy, mm-hmm. her actual government name is Sheila Joy Burton, age 20. Well, they were related. That's her daughter, not her niece. Okay, well, I figured. But yeah. I was wondering if they were like running a hustle together or they, they had met and they were like, oh, yeah, we're niece and Yeah. What aunt. I think is interesting is why she's playing the niece instead of the just being the daughter, I I don't know. Maybe just probably to throw people off. A little more exotic. And also more exotic, you sounded richer. Uh, and th- I think thirdly, it's just like, if you're going to retell the story, it at least gives you one step mm-hmm. ahead of the law. Yeah, exactly. So that's her daughter, Sheila and Margaret. Margaret the mom, Sheila the daughter. The FBI starts piecing together this history. So Margaret, the mom, she was born to Brits in China. Okay. And she married a man named Jasper Burton in the Canal Zone in 1935. Brit? Canadian? Australian? English. English? Okay. Yeah. So, to, so, she's, so daughter of Brits mm-hmm. in China, born to like under foreign service or whatever, but right. parents, right? Right. They then grows up in China. Yeah. Marries another Brit who's also an expat or... I don't know if he was a Brit, but he's a man named Jasper Burton. Okay. And they got married in the Canal Zone in 1935. Okay. Is that a thing, getting married in the Panama Canal Zone? That's where they got... Well, I mean, I guess it was... I mean, it's tropical. Maybe it's a vest destination I don't know. at the I time. I couldn't find anything maybe about f- it, but it sounds fishy. Maybe he was into malaria. You don't know. Don't shame maybe him. Maybe he he's was just, malaria. He's like, I like bug bites. Mosquito bites just make me feel like mm, <laughs> desirable a, and he hot. He was addicted to malaria. <laughs> he's addicted to malaria and turned on by mosquito bites. <laughs> it sounds fishy. <laughs> maybe they got married in a calzone. And it's just a typo. Oh, I, I you like know, the there are so many the typos point. in old papers mm-hmm. that the little smudges. I'm sorry, everyone. They got married in a calzone. <laughs> yeah, knee deep in hot cheese and sauce. In, in, a, in a room temperature pepperoni calzone. <laughs> the world's largest calzone. <laughs> I like that way better. Thank you, Dave. That makes way more sense. So <laughs> this couple, they get married in a calzone um, full of mosquitoes and... She, though, like, they get married. She leaves Jasper three years later and makes her way to Honolulu, Hawaii. Mm. Now. She likes it where it's warm. Okay. Yeah. By that time, uh, she has her daughter, fake Candyland. Okay. Um, and she started her criminal career in 1939 in Honolulu. So she embezzled money from her employer, a Chinese rug merchant, and then she just straight up skipped town. Hmm. So that was the beginning of it, her origin story. So, okay, so she skips town, gets on a boat, makes it to the mainland, and then just goes, mm-hmm. I can keep doing this? Yeah, so Margaret and her daughter, Sheila, they bounce around the U.S. and Canada. They're running flim-flams and the cons and the whatnots. <laughs> Sheila, will be homeschooling you, darling. <laughs> She's getting a different kind of education. They're staying one step ahead of the law. Mm-hmm. They go to L.A., and Margaret opens a knitting shop, but also manages to commit grand theft. <laughs> well, grand theft, that's easy. Yeah, yeah. they go to Vancouver. She steals $5,000 from someone there. They go to San Antonio. This is the first step that doesn't make sense. At all. She's hitting a lot of places where, like at that time, yeah. would have had loose money, tourists, mm-hmm. a, a, a transient population. Mm-hmm. San Antonio seems like a miss. That seems like... She wanted to see the Alamo. Well, you know, it's not much to see. It's a yeah. short building made of bricks. <laughs> so she goes there. She goes to the Alamo. There's stones, rather. And she gets uh, she gets into the whole prize cocker spaniel scene there. Mm-hmm. This hot scene in San Antonio. <laughs> San Antonio dog scene. Popping. Yeah. <laughs> the dogs are, like, walking down the street. Oh. <laughs> run the streets. They run the streets. Um, she did some work on TV there. Okay. Which is weird. So local San Antonio TV. I guess. Or good, maybe good at the time was San Antonio a Hollywood. No. East. Still hasn't been. Never will be. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Um, she also wrote a ton of bad checks in San Antonio. Hmm. Yeah. Um, from there, she goes to Norfolk, Virginia. 
Okay, so that's military. That's another good place yeah. to get lost to the transient population. Yeah, she got her beak wet in the whole, I'm an accountant at a doctor's clinic thing. Mm-hmm. And she stole $2,000 there. Okay. So then she goes to Decatur, Georgia. But where does she get the big score to be able to afford the house and the lifestyle that she's putting on heirs with? I don't know. This is all that they had, like, revealed in the press. So the FBI missed, I think, at least one crime. Or they didn't want to disclose it because it was too embarrassing for them. <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover was involved. (laughs) So she gets to Decatur and she decides to like blend up all the stuff that she's been into so far Mm -hmm. to one fabulous, decadent volcano con. Just a froth of lies. (laughs) It's just bubbling over. She, in all, she had 22 aliases and little Sheila, little Candyland, uh, she had nine. So they just were like constantly rotating through these personalities. Everything's for sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got five passports. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't going to jail. So the feds, they get a lead from the dog show community. Mm-hmm. You know, dogs, dog people, they'll step up. So word was that old Theodore Young, remember him, came prancing through the room. Bunny, oh, yeah, Teddy Young, the dog Bunny, trainer. you saw him. Of course I did, darling. So he, they, it, the word got out that he had this large number of Cocker Spaniels with him up at his kennel in Rocky Hill, Connecticut. Mm. Yeah. So the FBI moves in, and they discover that all but three of the Cocker Spaniels are there at his place in a fancy kennel. We found our inside man. Mm-hmm. He gets arrested for transporting stolen goods across state lines. Okay. Now... He claims he has no idea what they're talking about. Of course. <laughs> dogs, I don't know where they came from. He's like, these dogs are Dogs like children. me, what can I do? <laughs> I am just actually a giant Cocker Spaniel myself. <laughs> um, so Mrs. Gray, he says Mrs. Gray called him and asked him to meet her in Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. She needed him to come pick up a van of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, van of dogs look, I, got a, I got a hot van of dogs. You got to help me out here. Um, <laughs> so he meets her down there, gets the dogs and takes off. At no point is he like, eh, I don't, I don't like the smell of this mm-hmm. in so, many ways. <laughs> no, he just takes them and off he goes. Um, now I'm going to introduce you to another person in here, Myron Armistead. Myron Armistead? Mm-hmm. Hmm. He was appointed as receiver for the creditors who were lining up to get paid for goods and services that Margaret owed. Ah, I got you. Yeah. So he was going to auction off the dogs. <laughs> That's his response. Dog auction. Total money man response. What's the net value on the dogs? <laughs> How fast can we move these units? <laughs> but a bunch of other show dog owners across the country found out and went bananas over that, and they claimed the dogs were actually theirs. Like, I am Spartacus. They had a moment. They all stood up. (laughs) Those dogs are mine. Those dogs are mine. Either they had, like, maybe Theodore was training them, and Mm -hmm. then she kind of, she, meaning Mrs. Gray, laid claim to them and said they were hers. I don't know. Or... If I'm a if I'm a dog owner and I'm not on the up and up and I see there are all these like criminally involved con man dogs, mm-hmm. perhaps ripe for the picking. I'd come in and get some free show dogs. Yeah, I could just be like, wait, those are <laughs> those my are free my show. free dogs. I got you, Lancelot, Lancelot, <laughs> come over. You whistle, some dogs show up gonna with come a bunch over. of bacon in your pocket. <laughs> Look, <laughs> they love me. You, you see, get, this is my dog. You can get at least one to pretend to like you. Oh yeah, you got bacon. You got seven dogs like, right there. That's my prize show dog, and then you run away. Um, <laughs> so Teddy's lawyer though is like, you know what? No dogs are going anywhere until someone pays my client for the boarding costs. And I'm gonna need ten percent of a dog from me. <laughs> She's running like basically like a wag hotel in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> like ambient music. It's and... just nothing but vibes. <laughs> it's nothing but vibes, but it's a huge mess too, yeah, which I love. Like, I love vibey vibe. messes. <laughs> <laughs> so Myron, he puts together eight pages of asset inventory. Okay. Uh, old gal left 13 dresses at the house. Mm-hmm. 334 books. Mm-hmm. So she was a She's reader. A reader mm-hmm. yeah. Creative Respect. mind. Respect. Um, an entire room of dog show trophies. <laughs> she left her trophy? Yeah, screw Just it. ditched the I'm trophy room? I like she's this. Got the, she's got the trophy makers. She's got new trophies to win. <laughs> she left the 50 hats. Yes, of course. <laughs> There's no room in the van. She should have put at least one hat on each dog. And then she would have had 30 hats. <laughs> hat carrier, I like it. Yeah. So the, yeah, the happiest so, loses her collection. <laughs> in all, there's like 40 grand worth of stuff at the house. Okay. Um, but that still leaves $60,000 unaccounted for. And that didn't include the money she made on her salary. Mm-hmm. So at the time, too, she owes $14,000 on her house. And she owes 2000 on that sweet pink Lincoln. Okay. And then she owes 2300 in store credit card purchases. <laughs> Just like at Macy's and Gimbal's? <laughs> totally. 
And she's nowhere to be found. So. I hope she's on like an ocean liner to Paris. Well, Mrs. Juanita Hetwer enters the chat. <laughs> Juanita is the receptionist at a doctor's office in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> Juanita. She calls about a bunch of hats she's heard about. <laughs> I heard you have hats down there for sale. So Juanita's at work one day, and the doctor says, I've hired a woman to help me do my books. <laughs> And here, this is this woman. I'd like you to meet her. Her name is Madge Barton. Mm -hmm. Now, her aliases are like when I'm having trouble remembering the names of these people. Yeah, like Margaret fine. Burton, Madge Barton, like what? <laughs> close enough. And Madge Bitten. I had a film studies professor once who told us about a movie starring Debbie Damore. And we were super <laughs> confused until he said, you know, the woman from A Few Good Men. Demi Moore. He meant Demi Moore. <laughs> Debbie Demore. Debbie Demore. It mm. happens to the best of us. Okay, so her aliases are just like slightly off. Madge Barton instead of uh, Margaret Burton. So this woman, Madge Barton, Merge Martin, um, she seems nice enough. She's a stylish, pretty lady. Um, she took the said she, she took the jobs in hopes that she could like save the doctor some money. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. It's also really good at dogs. <laughs> she, why isn't she working at a vet? Uh, Hello. And I think they would be a little under just because they're they would recognize her stuff. You know what I mean? Mm, like true. I'm true. just guessing that it's yeah. not the place to uh try to doctors are so busy and they're they as long as things work, they don't really care. You know, like I mm -hmm. used to date a girl whose father was a doctor and he gave her credit cards when we were in college and the credit cards went to her the secretary and the secretary just paid the bill regardless each month no matter what she charged so mm -hmm. the doc, the dad had no idea and she'd be charging like ten thousand oh, dollars in God. a month and the and the secretary would just sign it wow and just month after month like this and i was like how does he never how does just, she's like she'd say basically i'd have to like scare the secretary and then right now, her spending limit had always been pretty much what it was. So the wow. secretary never let the dad so know. So she's just like set up for a life of irresponsibility. Exactly. I'm saying is this burden woman, she figured out the same thing that the, this girl that yeah. I dated figured out, which yeah. is that doctors are busy and do not care. Just but where do I sign? <laughs> Please go away. Well, and I would imagine, too, I think vets make a lot more money now than they did then, probably, because mm -hmm. yeah, people are too. willing to shell out a lot more now. Also, I mean, let's be real. Vets are often usually connected to some shady stuff on their own. <gasps> like, I'm just saying, like, the, if you want... If you get shot, right, and you don't want to go to a hospital, you go to a vet, right? Everybody knows this in Everybody crime. Everybody knows Everybody this? in the crime world knows that vets in can operate. In the crime community. I'm just saying, like, if you know somebody, it's like, uh, you know, you know somebody's a pharmacist and you're a criminal, you keep that in your back pocket. You know right. someone's a vet, you keep that in your back pocket. Like, it's a translation, right? I so, feel like if you, if I got shot and went to my dog's vet. You don't go to your dog's vet. <laughs> You don't go to like someone who knows who you are and has like all of your records. They'd be like, <laughs> you go do you to have, a vet. They're like, oh, wow, look at your age. Do you have senior pet insurance? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, no, I'm bleeding out here, lady. She's like, okay, yeah. Well, Was this a hunting wound? We're not taking walk-ins right now. We're very busy. <laughs> There's an emergency 24-hour place. I'll just tell them I snorted up a foxtail and then they'll get me right in there. Um, so where was I? Okay, so she says she's going to save the doctor some money. Mm -hmm. um, she didn't have any work references. No. Of course. Just charm. Um, but she said her ex-husband was a doctor, so she knew a lot about running a practice from him. Sounds qualified. And she kind of milked some sympathy out of Juanita by adding in that they divorced when the husband took off with another woman. Oh. Yeah. So the two of them are working together for like a week. <laughs> And Juanita, it's like lunchtime. She's reading the paper during her break. And she sees an article about none other than that Mrs. Janet Gray outside uh -oh. of Atlanta. And it's this, you know, there's so many uh, press articles. There's so many newspaper mm -hmm. articles at the time about this because it's this fascinating, you know, yeah. extravagant case. And a syndicated wire. I mean, those stories, oh, you see yeah. them. Oh, yeah. It takes off. Good column inches. Um, so she reads the description of Mrs. Gray and she looks at the grainy photo in the paper and then she looks over at a new coworker. <laughs> then she looks back at the paper. Silver, she looks back at her coworker. Silver hair, check. <laughs> Freckles, check. Nah, it's not her. It can't be. She's like, hey, Matt, do you like dogs? There's no, there's no way it's her. Uh, you know, she's like, Juanita, you're falling for one of your flights of fancy again, <laughs> talking to herself. Uh, so she goes back to reading the article when Marge Burton's daughter walks in. She Cindy Lane. <laughs> She's lazy. She's calling herself Joy Barton. <laughs> she so she just changed the anymore. last name a little bit. Um, the paper described the, the daughter as a buxom blonde. Uh -oh. And Juanita looks up and sees Joy. 
The buxom blonde daughter of Marge. All right, it has to be her. <laughs> Big boobs, the doom of a woman once more. <laughs> so Juanita excuses herself, goes to see her boss, the doctor. It's like, dude, you are never going to guess who you hired. <laughs> He's like, what, dude? <laughs> dude, lay it on She's me. She's like, bro, listen. For real, though? Okay. <laughs> the doctor looks at the article and then peeks out at Marge Barton. And then calls the cops. He's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we got a live one. So the police haul her in, and she claims she has no idea what they're talking about. As you're, that's what everyone does. Um, right up until they started to fingerprint her. <laughs> and then she's like, all right, look, I'll just tell you my real name then. But I haven't done anything wrong. I'm allergic to ink. So. <laughs> they arrest the daughter. Mm-hmm. And um, she had enrolled in a local business college. So she was at least getting age appropriate on it. <laughs> But you got to wonder, what cons was she running at these schools? I think a lot. <laughs> a lot, a lot. Um, and the two are then charged and sent to Atlanta for trial. Ooh. Now, the cops, they go to the apartment in Tulsa, and they find the three missing Cocker Spaniels. Hmm. Piccolo Pete. <laughs> I am not making these Are up. you for real? Piccolo Pete? Piccolo Pete. <laughs> Capital Gain. Capital Gain? Like she's naming racehorses? <laughs> Totally. And then none other than Best in Show 1954, Rise and Shine. Rise and Shine. Also so, a, pe- a Preakness winner in 1951. <laughs> Piccolo Pete has, has developed a heroin habit. <laughs> <clears throat> now, the the gals, they're back in Atlanta now. Okay. So the, the feds, though, they seize Piccolo Pete, Capital Gain, and Rise and Shine. Mm-hmm. They go into federal custody. Witness protection. The girls go Change back to Atlanta. Change his name to Rise and Grind? <laughs> Yes. Um, when she was busted in Tulsa, Margaret told the FBI that she had stolen $50,000 in okay. Atlanta. But then she gets back to Atlanta and she claims that her confession was coerced and that she only said that to get her daughter out of jail. Okay. And then she said she wasn't given access to a lawyer. All right. Now, right. do we think this is true? Probably not. Okay. Um, you know, she's established that we can't trust anything she says. That's my question. Yeah. But yeah. So um, she's on the stand and she says that, you know what, I never stole anything. And what was really going on is that the doctors were involved in some tax evasion and I'm just the fall guy. They're trying to pin it on me. That's not a bad one. That's, like, that's good. a pretty good pivot. L- little old me. Yeah, I, I would definitely throw that one in there. 1950, whatever. Like yeah. everyone's being sexist about Look, stuff. Use that to your you're benefit. You're just going to cook up whatever you can, throw it to the wall, see if it sticks. Mm-hmm. If just it does, get a spatula. <laughs> Public is eating this up. Mm-hmm. Speaking of spatulas. <laughs> um, so it's this like major trial, right? Uh-huh. Media is breathlessly covering it. Her socialite friends. Providing amazing color commentary during this. Oh, yes. Yeah. What, is my, so, what do my girls have to say? Her hairdresser uh-huh. said, I surely thought she would give them a more exciting chase. And just what will the ladies in my salon have to talk about now? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's worried about the content. Um, DS Estes. I don't know the if, you know. Oh, those are just initials? DS? DS okay. Estes. Okay, that's an interesting name, DS. Yeah, DS. Um <laughs> My daughter, 10. Yes. A socialite in the dog set who had pushed for Margaret's appointment as Southeastern Representative for the American Spaniel Club. Oh, wow. Political aspirations. (laughs) Um, Really moving up. They said it was like picking up the paper and reading that President Eisenhower was a spy for the communists. (laughs) What a was it? Was it, really it DS? Was. Just the metaphor of shock there. <laughs> That's just... a solid analog. Um, one Sunday, a reverend at the local Methodist church gave a sermon, and he's just yucking it up. This is a lighthearted <laughs> congregation. He starts joking about the whole trial and the whole process of it, and he says, Instead of Mrs. Burton being on trial for taking money from our four physician employers, it appears that the physicians might be on trial for making that much money. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what? So what does this have to do with so the gospel like, according to John? Is this what? like the eye of a needle, like camel thing, where it's like, we should just be focused on these rich doctors? What's the, Apparently. Good luck with like, that. He's like, they're being mean to the doctors in this because they're, you know, they're making money, which means that God loves them more. <laughs> Hello. The grandfather of the prosperity gospel. <laughs> 
So here's the problem with that. Well, mm-hmm. there are a lot of problems, but mm-hmm. let me tell you the big problem with what he was saying. Should I be taking notes? Please, you haven't been? Uh, no, I, up here. And up here. Okay, because I'm. Uh, there's going to be a pop quiz later. Um, oh, it's not a pop quiz if I announce it. Drat. <laughs> nope, that's canceled. So there's a juror named William Pittman. Mm-hmm. He's out there in the congregation. I wanted to say audience. He's in the <laughs> congregation, right? So... Jurors aren't supposed to be exposed to the opinions of others during the trial. Yeah, technically. Yeah. And the defense finds out about this, and they spring into action. And oh, they, I got you. So the juror was a member of this minister's of congregation. congregation. So and he so heard this, like, homily this or whatever like, they called it. You know, come on now. Mm-hmm. Don't blame the everyone should be, you know, supporting these doctors. They're uh, I gotcha. They should be really roasting this lady. I gotcha. Um, and so uh the defense moves for a mistrial because they said that this could affect this presumption of innocence. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the judge agrees and declares a mistrial. Get out. No, I will not. Wow. Yeah. So, um, Margaret then gets retried okay. in February of 1958. Mm-hmm. And on February 8th, 1958, she was indicted on two counts of larceny and she was sentenced to two to five years in prison. Oh. Yeah. She did a little bit of time there. Don't forget, though. She had pending charges in three other states and Canada. Uh-huh. So, plus, on top of that, the government went through with deportation proceedings. Oh, send her back to China? I guess. Like Brit- British territory of China? The, well, we're, we're, she at, probably no, 57 had, it wouldn't be. Yeah, we're way past the But she would 47. have English citizenship yeah. from her parents. So, yeah, out of here. You're out of here, pal. Wow. What, what, happened? what happened to old Cindy Joy Candy Lane? Let me tell you. I found a postscript to this whole story, in, courtesy of the DeKalb History Center. Okay. Um, according to them, Sheila Joy left Atlanta in September of 1957. According to local newspapers, quote, her departure ended a chapter in her life that would rival the wildest television drama. She would stay with her uncle on her mother's side, Ian McGlashan, who was a movie producer. Mm-hmm. Charges against her as an accessory to her mother's crimes were later dropped. Reportedly, she attended college and got excellent grades. Oh, look at her. Well, she went to prep school like twice. Um, <laughs> when she was 22, she got married. Okay. And it appears that after this period of excitement, she lived largely ordinary life when, and had one child. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me. And that woman now became Mamie Van Doren. <laughs> For those uh, yeah. who don't know, she was a 50s starlet, <laughs> like like Jane Mansfield and Marla Monroe, but, but like already, the C-grade level. But we're talking about it's 1957. I know. Well, it could happen overnight. She retconned back into maybe Van I'm not good with math or numbers or continuity of timelines. And I'm this girl thinking, grew up to be Abraham Lincoln. I got okay with this. Kim Novak. She was a 60s, early 60s. She, better. Grew, she grew up to be Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Timeless. Um, That's what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> So then also from the same historical or history center, they mm-hmm. said, quote, Mrs. Burton was released after serving 18 months. Lord. Despite her attempts to fight it, she later was consensually extradited to California to face a charge of six counts of grand larceny, grand theft, excuse me. She was sentenced in the California courtroom to 240 days in jail. And on May 18th, 1960, she was deported to England. There we go. Yeah. She returned to California where she died on October 2nd, 1992, in Los Angeles at the age of 85. Huh. Yeah. So she did go back to L.A., but to be near her daughter. I guess, yeah. Interesting. That's the story of Margaret Lydia Burton, the canine-loving con woman. Dude, respect. Did it for the dog. She did. What's your ridiculous takeaway here? <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong for doing it for the dogs in my book. That's what the ridiculous takeaway is, that I have a very low moral code. That's what I just discovered. So there you go. <laughs> I discovered that I'm supposed to, like, scope out shady vets <laughs> yes, if things go south. My ridiculous takeaway is that it's always best to avoid office work whenever possible. <laughs> That's where you can get a bad paper cut. If you want to be fabulous or the FBI, so. and pull off a long con, you got to do everything fabulous. It's way more fun that way. Yeah. There has to be a way to get to con people out of their money without going into an office. That's the Kardashian family rule. Mm-hmm. How do we con people without going into an office? And Amen. look how well it's worked for there them. There you go. That's it for today. Um, you can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter and Instagram. Got a tip for us about a ridiculous crime you want to hear about? If you want to confess to a ridiculous crime, email us at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. 
Other than that, tune in next time. We'll see you next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. That's me! <laughs> Mummy! Produced and edited by world-renowned canine cosmetic surgeon Derv Kaftan. Research is by AKC-recognized accountant Barisha Blon. The theme song is by best-in-group non-sporting, Termis Lowe, and best-in-group herding, Tangus Durfel. <laughs> Executive producers are Schmen Schmolen and Brene Brown. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.